right, welcome to Edge of the Rabbit Hole. I am Mike Ricksecker, author and ghost story. And with me as always is Vanessa Holgo, my co-host. And of course, down in the chat room, our chat shenanigator, Shauna. We have a great show lined up for you this evening. Tonight, we have Carl Johnson, a renowned demonologist and author. Uh, he's been around many, many years, and I know many of you know Carl. So we are really looking forward to a great show with him on the air. We're going to be talking about demons in his book, Shadow Realms, a demonology handbook, which I picked up from him last summer at the Ocean State Paracon. So, Carl, great to have you on. Ah, uh, great to be here. Nice to see you. We should make it more than once a year, Mike. We yeah. should. We should. So, yeah. We'll have to see you next July, if not sooner. Well, I'm looking into that. I was talking with uh, Ken, Ken DaCosta here, um, maybe a wow. week ago about that. So, uh, we'll see. And, uh, yeah, I, last year was the first time I'd seen you since that case out in Edmond, Oklahoma. And it was great to catch up with been, you a little bit. Yeah. It had been about uh, seven, uh, no, eight years since. Eight years was it? it was yeah. Something like that, yeah, yeah. Something like seven and a half years it was. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, that was twenty ten. Yeah. Said, okay. If I, if I, thought, I recall I correctly, you were gonna say I was. I thought you were going to say I was twenty two. <laughs> you said it was twenty twenty ten. I get you. You you were twenty two, and I was yeah. <laughs> I, I was not. 22. 26. That, no. 26. That was a big year for Carl. Yeah. 2010 <laughs> was a big year. It, it was for me. Well, with paranormal investigations, unfortunately, those two years, 2009, 2010, I was fortunate to be flown around a lot uh, across the country for uh, participation in those investigations, which were documented for various TV shows. So that was a good year, Banner year. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I bet. And I'll tell you, if it wasn't for 2010, I don't know how I would have gotten to 2011. So, I know, all, right? All, all in all, it was a good year. Yeah. <laughs> it was a good year. <laughs> yeah, you did a couple of cases out there in Oklahoma because Vanessa was the case before that, what they called the uh, Leave or Die House. And then I was with yeah. you for the, uh, the Edmond, Oklahoma case. So... Um, and, mm -hmm. and Vanessa and I met somewhere in between those two. It was in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it brought you to those cases. Brought you together. They really did. Yeah, yeah, in a yeah. way they did. Yeah. Wow. That's weird. Yeah. So yeah, that first one you're, you're referring to, the, it was documented for the uh, series uh, "The Haunted," and that would focus on how animals respond to paranormal activity in an environment such as mm -hmm. that the haunted house. And that took place in El Dorado, Oklahoma. That's how they pronounce it in that sector, El Dorado, Oklahoma. Mm -hmm. heck, that was back in November of 2009. And the follow-up Oklahoma case, as Mike was mentioning, was in Edmond, Oklahoma. And that was uh, Monster in My Closet was the title of the episode. They were, they were authentic investigations. They were not recreations. Oh, yeah. They were documented for that TV series. Yeah, that whole, uh, that cleansing that we did with you, I mean, that was all footage that came off of our cameras. There was nothing recreated about that whatsoever. No. Oh, you remember it got really dramatic when we were outside and that wind, it wasn't a breeze, it was an outright wind. That kicked up so suddenly, as soon as we went out. Oof. Oh, and yeah. Unfortunately, they didn't capture that. 
Know, yeah, they got that. the uh, they got the cats running around a little bit, but uh, yeah, that wind it really kicked up crazy. And I and what I remember is um, after everything had happened with Talison in the uh, in the master bedroom, that that back door kept blowing open too. So yeah. that, Talison Osborne, yeah, and then the family. Yeah. Yes, that was horrific. And uh, uh, as you chronicled in your book, Mike, uh, we saw these shadowy forms that almost looked like monkeys or something simian but they weren't bending the branches or anything well you couldn't tell it was a big wind anyway but they were scurrying up the trees and it was a weird thing to see and as you know what went on behind the cameras what they didn't document was probably more enthralling than what was shown or what was aired on the episode yeah, and it's, it's really it's really strange how that works. You know, there was some really you know significant activity that was going on. That and, and I understand you know time constraints for the show. They need to tell the story and all that, but there's so much more that happened. Oh yeah, they could have done a two-hour episode of that easily to, to get it all. Oh, easily. But yeah. some of it was, was Allison's private experience too, when she revealed you know the trauma she had endured. So right, no, what an experience. Yeah, one thing I always wanted to ask you about that case, because um, you and I, I i guess it was you and, and Chris Borthick, from what I uh, remember from that, who was yeah. our occult specialist at the time, you guys had named that a wraith, or at least that's what had been told to me, was you guys deduced that that entity was a wraith, and I always wondered how you guys came to that conclusion. Um. Uh. Because of its manifestation that the uh, both children, of course, they were young adults at that time, but um, both the Osborne children had seen in that closet. It was um, shadowy. And, you know, you have documented shadow person cases. Right. It was um, it was almost insubstantial. It was I, I said wraith like and then I thought that probably describes it best of anything. A wraith, uh, something that quasi-human in appearance and its aspect, but uh, flits around very rapidly and was black and shadowy, and that's what Allison was seeing in her closet. Right. And uh, that, hence the title, Monster in My Closet. Now, Carl, mm. let me ask you, simply because I, I wasn't at that particular location or on that investigation, and I haven't really dealt with with what what you're describing as, as a wraith. Are they just something... There, that's more like an elemental or an entity, or were they at any point in time human, or are they intelligent? Yeah. Do they interact? I don't think we're able to deduce just what its source would be. We, we just know it's there. Um, we lack scientific nomenclature in this field. You know, we can't apply a scientific term to it. Yeah, we say wraith. You know, that's kind of an archaic term, but it does indicate a form of uh, a shadow ghost or shadow person. If it's malevolent, we tend to call it a wraith. It could be an elemental. Do they tend to, to, to be intelligent? Do they interact or are they just combat? Yeah, because they, well, they are combative, but they tend to have an, an agenda. They are insidious. They have an intelligence, a sinister intelligence to them. They evince that intelligence oh. because they go after somebody. You know, and they target a particular person. Okay. So it's not like a poltergeist that just seems to react. Okay. Something that uh, knows the family, knows its victim, almost seems to have studied them, and is there for however long. 
just seems bent on disrupting and destroying the family unit. So an antagonist. And in this case, yeah, oh yeah. Okay. In this case, it was Palestine. That's why I was called in to uh, consult on this case and then to actively participate because it was destructive. Okay, that makes sense. I just I hadn't really dealt with something like that, so I'm, I'm real curious. Well. I, I can't say I had either because every situation is unique and different. involved. So, okay. background on where I was informed before when I was on, first on the phone with Talison's mother. Uh, Talison didn't know who Tazan was talking to, and Talison started to scream, you know, the chastiser. The chastiser. Don't let him come here. That's the chastiser. I Where remember hearing about that. Mom. Yeah. She was referring to me as the chastiser. Wow. Um, but, you know, I kind of broke the ice when I when I came in and uh, sat because Callison was giving me this very intense stare as we sat at the table. I was being accused of the family. We were discussing the ramifications of this, this case. And Callison pointed at me and said, Are you a priest? And I remember I turned around and said, no, I just play one on TV. <laughs> and that just got a laugh, and it just kind of made things easier that night, you know. I think she even cracked a smile at that. But it was a serious situation at the time, you know, unsettling. Yeah, it, I knew I was there coming for high water for the evening. And uh, just got to wait to see what happened. Yeah, it, it definitely was. And, and a lot did. You know, we, we talked... A few minutes ago about how you know could have made it a two-hour show that they changed a few things up and one thing and I don't even I don't know if you knew this Carl was that um, you know, within the within the television show when they did their editing uh, they had taken an EVP that we got the word die and they placed it during our paranormal investigation you know months beforehand which is not where that EVP came from that EVP that said die was off of my audio recorder when Talison seemed to get punched in the gut. When you were doing that blessing over her, she seemed to get punched in the gut, she fell over. That EVP die was right there, so it was a lot more sinister than they were even making out on the show. Well, yeah, well, it's just, yeah it could have been a two-hour episode to cover all, all aspects of that, of that evening. Yeah, and uh, so that we had a voice, we had a decipherable voice. Yeah, absolutely. Nature, and I don't know if you remember, uh, a couple of us actually heard a thump when she was seemingly punched in the gut and doubled over. It's like something really did hit her. Yeah. So that, you know. Yeah, something was really trying to do her harm. Yeah, and, but there was physical agent too. You know, there's. Uh, was more than psychosomatic at that stage, to be sure. As some people in down in the chat are wondering, you know, would you would you call something like that demonic, or you just keep that as a wraith? As an umbrella term, I would call that demonic. Yeah, just you know, more specifically a wraith, but it was of demonic nature, and that it was you know a disembodied entity, and it was hostile, so we have to classify it as a demonic. We do have a question from Judy Wilson. While we have connection, I just wanted to make sure to get this in here. 
Um, from Judy Wilson, she's asking, what made Carl decide to go into demonology? Was there something specific, Carl, or has it just always been an interest? Well, there was a catalyst for it, and something specific, yes. Um, I was a member, of my, my first experience with the paranormal investigation, besides trying experiments on my own, a la Ouija board, you know, spirit communication. It's called Pyro, Parapsychology Investigation and Research Organization. And the night I was I attended a lecture at Rhode Island College uh, presented by Ed Brain Warren. And so, uh, while I wasn't registered at the college at the time, some uh, some of that group did invite me to attend one of the meetings, extended an invitation to join their group. Uh, oh, the ruins of the church. Actually, the church was still intact, although it had burned, uh, up on Brown Avenue in Johnston, Rhode Island. And, uh, it was said that music, like organ music, issued from this church, even though there was, you know, it was in ruins and there was nothing there. We um, haunted places, which was also subject to UFO activity. Okay, and uh, but we wanted to break into residential. People. And we were contacted at a farmhouse in Harrisville, Rhode Island, and there were our daughters. And so we were invited to come to their farmhouse, and it was truly a haunted site, haunted setting. And uh, so we investigated that house, and uh, my brother came up with the idea of inviting in Ed Lorraine Warren, whom we knew at the time to assist with that. It's not that we felt we were in over our head. We just thought it would be a nice touch to invite in Ed and Lorraine. And so Ed and Lorraine became involved, and to make a long and involved story shorter, 40 years later, that became the premise of the movie The Conjuring. Except, you know, some of the details are very much altered, but uh, we had called in Ed and Lorraine, uh, that became The Conjuring House. Because they didn't know at the time it was going to be made into a major motion picture. So that had demonic elements. And some years later, I was called into a case in Providence, Rhode Island, in the West End of Providence, in what they call the Armory District. And that, the subject of that investigation and intervention was a 14-year-old boy. We'll call him Lucas, or not, that was his name. And uh, it turned out to be a case of full-blown demonic possession. Again, psychological aspects, but things you just couldn't explain away rationally. And uh, an exorcism was called for. I was an active participant in that exorcism, a horrendous experience. And uh, a reporter had interviewed me, actually a couple of uh, magazine reporters had called me for a story. And uh, I found myself referred to in print as a demonologist. I hadn't been called a demonologist before that. So I said, well, why not? I guess it's descriptive. Demonologist. And uh, it just stuck at typically somebody who was acquainted with demonic lore studies the tradition and lore of demons. But some demonologists will intervene and try to assist persons and perform investigations. So 
that's my description is I'm a paranormal investigator who specializes in demonologists. I simply I address some of the more malevolent situations that are brought to my attention, as does my brother Keith. Hey, um, need to uh, do a little admin thing here real quick. We have a couple of super chats, and I know, Carl, you can't see that since you, you're calling in, but um, we have a $5 super chat from Tom Nick Nicholas says, just because I love you guys. And then we have a $15 super chat from Lambie Pie 25 He says, because it's my first time here, hugs. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, both of you. Absolutely appreciate that, uh, certainly. Uh, we do have a few other uh questions from the chat room uh we kind of missed tom's uh, a little earlier on um carl how do you determine a demonic presence among other hauntings well a demonic haunting would be supremely inconvenient for the occupants of a house uh some people can just live with a haunting it may be um, somewhat unsettling but uh, you can endure a human-generated haunt. Demonic haunt, well, it's possible that not all demons have a grudge against don't hear from them. Uh, if it's a demonic haunt, there's going to, there are going to be criteria that uh, establish that because the spirit seems intent on, or the entity seems intent on driving out the living occupants. Uh, Indications of a demonic haunt would be like a very, very unsettling feeling for the people in the house, but not consistently, just sporadically. From time to time, they feel really ill at ease. There may be some poltergeist activity as in objects being flung about, being moved, and uh, foul odors that come on and cannot be explained, and they dissipate. Uh, also, a very sweet scent, as the scent of roses, as the scent of sanctity, Sometimes, conversely, that can indicate a demonic haunt. And what I've experienced is that uh, it usually starts off with a child, one of the the family's children, most of these occur in family residences. The child starts seeing somebody. They have an imaginary friend. And it's either a man or a woman that comes into their bedroom at night. And it's friendly at first. Uh, This is a typical scenario for an atypical situation. So this uh, presence, this imaginary friend comes into the child's room and the child may be anywhere from five, six years old to into their teens. Uh, at first it's friendly, but then something changes. I remember there was a case in Brooklyn, New York and the, the adolescent girl said, you know, this lady who came into my room, she used to be friendly, but now she smiles and she smiles bad and she has mm-hmm. pointed teeth. Another characteristic of these so-called imaginary friends is they don't have eyes where there should be eyes. They're just empty holes. And then the parents start seeing this in stages more and more. And that's when, uh, that's when the demonologist is called. That could, that's a strong indication of a demonic font. It can take different forms like bangings on the wall, broken glass, and then it recedes suddenly. When it really seems intense, this invisible presence is trying to drive them out of their house or drive them mad, then it's uh, most likely demonic. And we rarely know the source. Although virtually all demonic haunts are rooted in some personal trauma experienced by one or more members of the household. Why do you think that is? Well, 
because it creates a weakness and imbalance in the psyche. Now, by demonic lore, a demon has to be invited in to take hold of a person or a household. And uh, now who would be crazy enough to invite in a demon unless they're doing it unknowingly? And there should be some rule that demons cannot invade uh, a person who is mentally ill or too young to make their own decisions or fend it off. But there is no such rule. Apparently, there isn't. So if somebody has some deep psychological trauma or they're just young and defenseless, that's an open happening in their path or not been resolved. It may be a rape crisis. It may be a family abuse or just something that has settled in and disturbed them. Uh, especially if that person starts to talk to themselves and then talk to the air, talk to an outside agent. After a while, if that person says, yes, I don't care what happens to me, or just come on in and show, you know, what you can do. That's an invitation to a demon, even if the person didn't really mean it at the time. But there, there are people who have experimented, especially younger people who experiment with conjuring and calling up spirits indiscriminately if there is a good way to do that, but they just fall on any spirit to come in and they're unleashing something that may already be dormant in the house, but waiting for an invitation. And uh, that springs forth. Now you, you bring up something and, and Mike, then I'm going to shut up, but you bring up something <laughs> called fine. really important here. And we've talked about it extensively on this show. I know Mike has talked on other shows about it as have I, um, when people talk about doing divination, when they talk about doing using Ouija boards, uh, pendulums, tarot, which I use pendulums and tarot, I'm that gal. But when, if they're not done properly and with authority and with knowledge, you can inadvertently open those doors without meaning to. Do you agree with that statement? Oh, sure. Ed, in that I've seen it again and again, that uh, somebody indiscriminately, to use that term again, uh, scrying, employing divination, prognostication, you know, I, normally it's, it's not a bad thing. But if somebody has that emotional or psychological imbalance and they're going at the spirit communication and they're just like calling in anything, because some people will do it for a thrill. Uh-huh. And so uses crying or, or plays on a Ouija board let's play and they start getting raps on the wall uh, okay success or a candle blows out on its own or an electrical appliance turns on by itself okay success I've performed a miracle I've got a spirit to communicate with me I know that from personal experience at least playing a Ouija board with my sister my, my brother stopped uh, his interest in the Ouija board early on. But when my sister and I, I was uh, 14 and 15 years of age, my sister three years younger than my brother and I, used to play on a Ouija board. Now, my mother, when she was a girl, she used to play with her stepmother on a Ouija board, actually on Saturday nights, and it was harmless. I never had any repercussions from it. But uh, we did. Uh, it, was, it was already haunting activity in my parents' house, and that just seemed to like a flower and blossom. Uh, it was an interesting time though. But we didn't suffer from it. 
you know, I mean, there were some things that were a little frightening that happened in the house, but we weren't taken over and, you know, we weren't driven from the house, but some people are. So yeah, to do any of that uh, without a forethought or just for a thrill is going to be dangerous. People don't think it's dangerous because you're dealing with the unseen, but hey, wind is unseen, but wind can create a hurricane or a tornado. Just don't know what you're bringing in. Especially if it's already in the environment. And speaking of your brother, Keith has shown up down in the chat. So welcome, Keith, to the chat. <laughs> oh, what's he doing there? <laughs> He's hanging out. He's hanging out. He uh, he showed up, I think it was um, when Andrea was on last month. Um, so, yeah, he'll pop in here every once in a while. So uh, good, to hear. good to see you, Keith. And uh, for those that are experiencing some technical difficulties, I do understand uh, with the uh, weather rolling in and out that we've had the you know past month or month and a half or whatever, blame it on the internet connection because it's, it's been a little up and down. So I do apologize for that. Um, we did have a uh, $10 super chat in there from uh, Sophia Frey. She says, love you guys. Thanks for what you do. Carl, you rock. So. Um, uh-huh. And roll. <laughs> rock and roll. There you go. Uh, do have some other uh, questions here from the chat? And I do want to get into into your book, Shadow Realms, because um, that is definitely a very Ooh, interesting. Have a copy idea. in front of me for reference. As a oh, of fact. Fantastic! I, I do as well. <laughs> in fact, we did a uh, we did, we did a uh, show on demons. Uh, um, I want to say it was about a month ago. Using your book as a reference, because I am by no means an expert, but uh, it was something that had been coming up in a lot of our you know discussions on our shows lately. So I was like, all right, we'll do a show, use uh, Carl's book as reference. But now we have you on, so um, and we'll get to some of these questions here. But uh, what can people expect from Shadow Realms, Demonology Handbook? And the, I, and the link is down in the description for everybody yeah. so you can go check out his book in the description you can link right to there so i'm sorry carl go ahead oh that's okay i was just uh my intent with writing this and it's co-authored with lana brock and Anna j brock uh our intention was to have this as a well my original concept for the book was to have it as a pocket carrier you know you could carry this in a briefcase and it's there for reference bring it to your paranormal investigations with you because there are some easy references in that you know if you're in a situation they're like oh and it's not the definitive book on demonology by any means it's it's two people's perspective of our experiences and you know go into the book find out what we have to say you know this is a trial and error this i'm i'm chronicling you know or outlining 40 years of trial and error you know like this didn't work for me in that situation on this at that time seemed effective. So it's case histories. It's presented as a series of essays by Lana and myself. And uh, Lana and I have our website, Demonology Incorporated. That's, of course, a uh, handle for that. It's in the book. And uh, one chapter, let's see what it is. Uh, oh, these are catchy titles, you know. Some of them are by Lana, some by myself. Yeah, it's a catchy book. But that's what I expected, and there are some people who have it as their part of their arsenal. You know, read the book at home, of course. You know, I hope you'll read it anywhere. But uh, pack it when you go into a paranormal investigation. You know, it's a tool. You might flip to a, a page or a chapter and find something useful there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, it's a, it's a nice collection of of your experiences. You get into a lot of the uh, theology. Um, 
you referenced some of the cases that we were talking about earlier. So yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it seems to be a very good practical guide. Yeah. Well, I've got uh, chapter three is dark explorations. I believe that's the one. Uh, let me see. Let's turn over to it. I should refer to my own book every once in a while. <laughs> uh, yeah. Chapter three, dark explorations. Um, this is a chapter primarily about me. Well, I can't always avoid that. Um, yeah, and that is, uh, I almost titled that chapter, I Was a Teenage Satanist, because I had an experimental period where I was into some dark explorations. I, I practiced satanic magic, ritual magic. And, of course, that has a negative connotation. But you know, you take your lumps when you call yourself a Satanist and watch your neck. Yeah, that was the fodder for some articles about me early on. Yeah, uh, how did how did that I affect did, was, you was, in in your development? You know, from from a younger guy transitioning into somebody older, and you, you know, you have that in your background. How did that affect you? I got to see the other side. You know, I got to know what that uh, the feeling of of empowerment, what that thrill at being able to invoke forces of nature and and sometimes have success with them They're just that that feeling we've called in the presence it's it's a ride you know and uh uh it, it was it was amusing at the time i mean i never sacrificed an animal we didn't do anything too extreme or untoward but eventually i changed the, the moniker of satanist to luciferin they had a more positive uh, connotation and uh, i I kind of like to say that I had this big revelation and Christianity uh, was the way for me and took over and I, you know, saw the light, but it was, it wasn't anything dramatic like that. It was more gradual, you know, of course I did become a Christian and had been raised as a Christian, but uh, a couple of denominations, Um, but there wasn't any big crashing, you know, uh, catalyst or catharsis that, that changed me from saying it's just that it, it had its time it was a form of re- expression and rebellion mm-hmm. and after a while it's okay i've played that long enough don't need to do it anymore don't you know i lost interest in it i'm gonna say i still have an affinity for black candles they, <laughs> like they, they make me nostalgic actually but you know i didn't have this grand like oh i'm gonna turn my back on this this is sarah's taking over me no just you know it's something i did for a while i don't remember exactly when i stopped but for a while the interest faded it was a Uh, form of extension it was fun while it was educational let's say oh i bet um carl just a real quick question because i know we have ones from the group but do you think that people who are aware of their dark side and and um, how dark it can actually be. Do you think they are less likely to suffer from any demonic issues, or more likely? Oh no, it, it's a, it's an individual thing, really. Um, I would like to say I didn't go through all that, uh, you know, all that formative period, you know, but I did, and it made me more self-aware. I think, in my case. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I built up antibodies, you might say. I, I know what demonic forces feel like. Yes. When, when they're around, <laughs> so I can kind of ward them. And uh, uh, somebody, like my brother, 
for instance, I use a close example, he never went through a satanic period, although I think he was interested in what we were doing, and he certainly sat in on some of our ceremonies, but not as a participant. Um, so I don't think one need to really go through the dark to find the light. In my case, I seem to, I seem to be part of my evolution as an individual. So it made me who I am. But it was so long ago, I, you know. Yeah, and, I, and I'm sure you have a perspective now that others don't necessarily have. I, I will say that, yes. Uh, some people will just uh, oppose what they call the dark side and not think about its merit in places or uh, what it means to somebody as an individual. Uh, but it did. It, it gave me a more well-rounded experience, and I know what to look for mm -hmm. if there's cult activity because I was one of them. Yeah, absolutely. Back when, back when you were, I don't know if you were riding a two-wheel bicycle at that time, Mike. But well, <laughs> well, <laughs> well give me a year because <laughs> I don't want to give. Okay, nineteen seventy-two. Nineteen seventy-two. Yeah, I was not quite riding a bicycle yet because um, I was not quite born yet. I was born in seventy-four. I, so. I, 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 yeah, yeah, I, I knew it was. I was born, yeah. but just that year. Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, okay. I'm older than Mike. Yeah, Vanessa's a couple years uh, older. Uh, apparently so. Now, now tens of thousands of listeners know that. But that's not a bad thing. I'm older than oh, both of you. Oh, it doesn't bother me. Oh, yeah, you know. <laughs> We're all young I'm at heart, though. We're all young at heart. Yeah, since, I, since I can't do anything to reverse it, I'm proud of my age. Same. Uh, do you know how old I am? It was that Beatles song, remember? Do, 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 do. Will you still need me? Will you still feed me when I'm 64? Ah, okay. <laughs> so 10 years. You got 10 years on us. That's awesome. <laughs> nice. Yeah. It's awe-inspiring sometimes, I'll tell you. But, um, yeah, so that's what, you know, and I was, you know, dabbled in Satanism for the next 10 years, actually. But I was, a, I guess, as a regular practice and belief system, uh, that was from 1972 to 1974. It was very active years for my dependent practice. You know, it's got a, a bad ring to it, but I never approached it with negativity. It's just, you know, you're going to take your lumps if your name is associated with Satanism in, in print. And that's what happened back in the day. It's all part but, of the learning process. It is. It is. Oh, yeah. So we have a couple other questions from the uh, chat here. Actually, we have quite a few. So I, sure. I don't want to ignore the uh, Mad Hatters down there. Um, so this was uh, asked a while ago. Uh, Andrew Cox, can a darker demonic entity follow you around like a hitchhiker? Yes. <laughs> uh, not in every situation, of course. But, you know, I, I ask that from time to time. Can you pick up an attachment on a hitchhiker? Oh yeah, yeah, it does happen. If you've been to a haunted site and um, something likes your vibe, your aura, yeah, if you're receptive to that presence, it can come home with you. I find they're usually not as powerful as, as strong and they don't last a long time if you pick up something. You might have some ghostly activity that's associated with that spirit. Unless it's, say, a really volatile site like a say, an abandoned mental institution, an asylum, 
people who go into those places looking for ghosty thrills, they can pick up an attachment. They can be just as virulent at home as they were in the setting, and then they need to take measures to disassociate themselves from it and get rid of it. So with varying degrees, yes, somebody can indeed pick up a hitchhiker and an attachment. They're usually not as strong. They usually just stay quickly, but uh, it can be mean and it can be inconvenient for a time. Yep. Um, from Robert Hanna, Robert asks, what was it like working with the TAPS team? It was a Mardi Gras. No, it was <laughs> Yeah, if you like getting yelled at for forgetting the cable, yeah. <laughs> and leaving it in the van, you have to go all the way down and string it up. Yeah. No, it was uh, it was actually a wonderful. There were ups and downs, like any association to go to become sure. media big. But um, you know, I was a member, as was my brother, members of perhaps the Atlantic Paranormal Society for eight years, and we were on the show for a time. And Ghost Hunters, yeah, well, it was, it was good. It was bonding. It was you know disappointment. It was enlightenment. Uh, it was frightening. It's our unsettling at times. And it was wearisome, you know, because we'd be traveling around going from right. state to state, you know, sometimes doing overnight and then try to get to sleep during the daytime. Doesn't work out very well. We, you know, baggy eyed slobs, we would be going out to breakfast together. And, uh, but there was a camaraderie and it was a learning process and uh, a lot of fond memories from that time. You know, but uh, very convoluted. Every situation. And there were disagreements. Uh, in front of the cameras, but behind the scenes as well. I don't remember. If, I don't know if you would remember an episode that was from the Eastern State Penitentiary. I recall. Uh, but, uh, yeah. Yeah. There was this incident of uh, Dude Run. Yeah. Uh, you know, people remember? Yeah, they remember that. Yep. I was there for that. Mm -hmm. But there were comic moments too, you know. And, uh, you know, and of course, those things have changed around and editing a lot. Sure. You know, but because we were able to, and I was able to go to these, these haunted sites, you know, I, even though I personally didn't get paid for it, you know, our transportation was pro provided for us and uh, meals, and, which was usually like a sandwich shop. But mm -hmm. uh, we got to meet some interesting people and were involved in enthralling situations. And uh, that was just a bonus of it. Well, of course, it was long nights of filming because if they didn't capture everything, you know, with the cameras, it had to be reshot or redone. So it got tedious. But yeah, interesting, interesting time. Yeah. And then my brother and I left at, you know, somewhat different times. He did first. And I departed the, the show and the group uh, so I could better pursue my own interests. Had I to do over again, I probably would have done one or two more cases with Ghost Hunters. But again, good members. You know, if they start up again, maybe I'll be part of the crew. There you go. There you go. <laughs> I don't know. I'd come in for a couple of investigations, at least. I'm sure you would. That would be interesting to, to see you out there again like that. Yeah. Anytime you want to have a just, I mean, it would be the whole interview talking about, uh, the whole guest spot talking about my experiences with cats and with ghost hunters. Because I got started at the beginning when I first met Jason Hawes and we fast became friends and uh, you know talked about uh, developing this group, the Atlantic Paranormal Society. 
I mean, I wasn't a co-founder, but I was an early member. Mm-hmm. And we used to be grassroots where we'd go out to cemeteries and uh, investigate and handle residential cases. And then that became the TV show. And then things changed in a big way because it became hectic and, and very busy and always on the road. Yeah, it seems like the show got really big over time. So, yeah, certainly. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, um, from, let's see, we have Luli Tubi who asks, what's your take on the difference between channeling and possession? Oh, well, (laughs) there's a fine delineation, is there not? (laughs) Uh, I think possession comes at the stage where you can't stop the channeling. Both both aspects are inviting in what is presumed to be a spirit being, a consciousness, a disembodied consciousness, and letting it express itself through the living person, be that a a medium, a channeler, or whatever, trans medium. Um, But when it's uninvited or simply won't leave, well, actually, it kind of has to be invited in the first place to be possession. In one form or another, it's invited. And, well, that's when you can't get rid of the thing. That's when it's invading your thoughts. You can't think freely or act freely. And few people can go that on their own. Once a person is convinced they are possessed by a spirit, be it demonic or whatever they, however they interpret it, it's very, very tricky to try and get rid of that, to try and expel it, to try to disassociate yourself from it. Um, so some people are comfortable with channeling. You know, sometimes I think it's the person's mind taking over and creating it. Other times they get some real influence. So if you are a, a person who's gifted with channeling and you find something just as nagging, you doesn't want to leave, be very careful of that. You've got to break that connection. It'd be a tough thing to do. And usually you have the assistance of others intervening on your behalf. And that could be an exorcism. Yeah, but a fine line there because they're both essentially something taking over your mind and your volition, but for limited periods of time. You just can't control it when it's possession. <laughs> Why it's called possession and possessing. Right. And I know, uh, Vanessa, you could speak a little bit to channeling because I know you've had that experience before. That's what I do, Carl. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. now then you know there are sometimes <laughs> a strong influence that comes I mean, I would guess you'd have some that are like, whoa, you got a mind of your own. You feel yeah. something coming on. I'm, I've said it a million times. I'm the do as I say, girl, not as I do. Because I, I let them just hop on in and, and do whatever they need to do. I've had one have me run 18 blocks before without me knowing it. Um, oh so I mean, yeah, I'm that girl. So don't be that girl. <laughs> But, uh, but no, you're absolutely right. There is a very, very, very fine line. And I, I won't do that voluntarily unless I have people with me that can aid me if needed. So mm. I, 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 I'm at least smart enough for that, you know. Um, but when, it's, when it first started, I didn't realize it was happening. And now I, now that I know it happens, I don't put myself in a situation where I'm by myself to do it. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah, I'm yeah. super, super, super careful. And I still let them do it. I just make sure I got a couple of Billy Badasses with me that can, that can take care of it. Because 
I've had to be tackled by ex-army combat vets before. Oh my! Yeah, the situation. Yeah, what? Um, it's it it can get bad, but I've got my people though. You know, I've got my ones <laughs> to take care of me. You got people for that. Yeah, yeah. Like example, examples I cite in Shatter in the book Shatter Realms. It's trial and error. You know, oh, sometimes yeah. something comes on you you didn't anticipate it being so strong and doesn't want to release its hold. And that, and you know, quite comfortable. Yeah. (laughs) Right. But you've built up your antibodies, you know, you've learned how to resist it. You, you, you know, the warning signs. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh, Carlin, let me ask you something because the, um, yeah, there, I saw a little discussion down in the chat, and it goes kind of quick, so I, I don't see all of it. But um, somebody had, had made a comment in there about you know demons not being all that common, and you know having all the experience that you do have. How common or uncommon is demonic activity? Because I, I hear from people that will say, "Oh, we have a four dollars super chat from Chipper Terry. Thank you very much, Chipper Terry. Appreciate Thank that." You. Um, <laughs> but you know, I'll have people contact me sometimes say, you know, I had a candle fell off my mantle. I think I have a demon to other people who, you know, of course don't believe it in demons at all. So where is it on that scale between common and uncommon? I can say it's on the rise from the reports I hear. Um, it's, it still remains uncommon, but the Vatican has more trained exorcists now than they did 20, 30 years ago, more than ever before. Um, because there are more people on the planet, people are exposed to the paranormal more and more interested in it. Um, there are more people to suffer trauma and it manifests through demonic infestation and then possessions. So it's, it's still a rarity, but not as uncommon as it used to be. As there are more people on the planet, there are more instances of demonic assault as far as the number of demons you know no way to know they could outnumber humans but humans are growing as far as i know they're not making more more demons but human population is on the increase and uh one uh one facet of the lore is that and i say l-o-r-e the demonic tradition is that there is potential for a demon to be attached to every living human being. For every person, there's a demon. Conversely, it is thought that there's a guiding angel, a more positive presence, a celestial presence for every person. So, still uncommon, but we're hearing more about it. So there must be more of it. Interesting. Yeah, and that does make sense. You know, of course, population on the rise, so course you know more people getting inflicted so uh we do have a couple more super chats andrew and his trucking gnomes that's andrew cox ten dollar super chat says we got both johnson brothers in the house sweet and then wp a five a five pound super chat so thank you very much wp appreciate that so um carl how much have you gotten into because you know just kind of breezing through the book a little bit i have read some of it i haven't had a chance to read the whole thing yet you know I, i see I believe I saw the Seal of Solomon and some things like that in here. Um, how much have you gotten into some of the um, uh, mysticism and history and like some of the Goetic grimoires and, and things like that? How much of the theology side have you delved into? Uh, in the book or in my personal experience? Both. Both. Just me? 
Well, I can't go into too much detail in the book because I'd still be writing it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, I try to at least touch on that. I try to cover most bases of demonic exploration. Yeah, somebody has to be versed, versed in demonic lore to be a demonologist or to study demonology. Sure. And to study a demon. Um, so it's not too comprehensive, but you know, I, I do outline uh, some of the theological aspects. And, and Lana has a degree in theolo theology. She's an accredited theologist. Uh, I've just done a lot of reading on the topics. And, uh, but there is a vast wealth of, of lore and uh, testimony on, uh, you know, the ecumenical approach to demonology or to spirit studies. So it, there's always something more to learn. It's something more to read. So something I could talk about it for a couple of hours and say, wow, this guy has what a comprehensive <laughs> knowledge. This guy, what does he study at the Vatican? But that's only because I'm talking about what I know, what, sure. I'm, with what I'm familiar, you know, and I um, always learn, you know. Carl, has there ever been a case that all of your reading, all of your knowledge, um, your combined experience with you and your brother, that no, that all of that combined the experience you just were not prepared for? Yes, almost every time. But really? uh, particularly in that case of uh, the boy, at the time a boy named Lucas who resided in Providence. I'll withhold from giving his last name, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, I would have prepared more for that. Um, if I had known, you know, everything I was going to see, but, then I, you know, I, anybody who knows the outcome of the situation can be thoroughly prepared. Of course, I couldn't have known. So a lot took me by surprise. Uh, I didn't know it was going to be that violent a manifestation. I didn't know there'd be such excessive outright paranormal activity involved in that case. And that was what was shaking about the case, you know. I had some times during that, especially initially, when I first saw this boy being taken over, uh, I didn't know I'd be able to stand my ground, you know, but if I, I knew this is a decisive moment. I knew for me that if I flee the house or exit the house, that's not going to build confidence in the people I was there to help, nor in my fortitude, my resolve. So, uh, yeah, but I didn't know. My brother didn't know what we were really going to face. And that happens every time, especially if there's a demonic influence. There's always this creeping, gnawing apprehension. You know, what am I going to face? Why am I here? Why am I doing this? Why did I make thing. this life choice? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've said that several, several times. Yeah. Um, but but it, it requires a certain resolve that you resolve beforehand that you're going to stay there and it's just the people you're not going to flee the scene no matter what happens even though you may have instances of self-doubt, which I always do in, in those situations. You never, you never can know what you're coming up against, specifically, you know, until it's over. You know, what will happen, what could happen. So that was, and that was early on in my experience, and, and Keith is a demonologist. You know, don't know what you're gonna face. And, it, and that gives it a potent force. When, you know, the element of the unexpected 
you know, what's going to happen next? Is this door going to slam? Uh, you know, am I going to see this? this person's face contort and look demonic? You know, am I going to be shoved and pushed? All of which happened in, in that early case. You know, and right up to, you know, when we assisted Dallas in this situation in Oklahoma, lived in Oklahoma. You don't know how severe it's going to get. And that became quite severe that night. Yeah. Now, we're trying. Oh, for sure. Now, from those experiences, how do you how do you view the way that demons, demonology, exorcisms, all those sorts of things are portrayed in in pop culture? We have all these movies these days. A lot of the television shows now, everything has to has to be a demon. Um, how do you think it's being portrayed these days, as in comparison to what the real thing is? Very succinctly, it's, they always have a definite beginning, um, middle drama, and an end, a resolution. It's not always like that, you know. They, but that's what would sell a story, and that's what sells a movie or a television show. You know, they want to start, you know, and uh, something happens in the middle that's very dramatic and a conclusion. Sometimes it's just an ongoing process. You're not sure when it started, and you don't know if it's going to end or end successfully. Um, Demonology is perhaps the most unglamorous field of paranormal research. You know, as you know, if you're a paranormal investigator, a lot of it waiting for something to happen and reviewing your evidence right. afterwards at length. Uh, but even more so with demonology, because you got to wait and see what happens and how the person is. Is the person, the subject, going to respond as you anticipate? Or is it going to be worse? Is it going to be something you have to stick with longer? Uh, so there's this very much the human element as well as the demonic. And uh, yeah, so the, the movie and television show portrayals and novel portrayals are just rapid and conclusive. They're a drama. They're neatly packaged. Right. It's a, it's a three-act play, like sure. Yeah. 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 Rarely like that. Because, you know, you want to check up on the, the subject that you assisted uh, a month later, a year later, see how they're doing. Sometimes they've come through it and say, yeah, that was an experience. Thanks for helping. Yeah. Other times, not so good, not, you know, not so resolved because you're dealing with the intricacies of the human mind, human consciousness. And when you've gone through a traumatic experience such as oppression or possession, it leaves scars, psychological scarring. Yeah, well, I mean, you even take a case, you know, like like the parent case, that they lived in that house for 10 years and there was something that was... You know, seemingly you know, always going on, but there were lulls where there weren't things going on. And of course the movie is, you know, it makes it seem like it happens, I don't know, maybe a month or two, <laughs> you know? And like you said, a neat little package. And, uh-huh. and you and Keith weren't well, even yeah. in it. <laughs> so what's going on there? Funny that. Yeah. That was fucked well, up. You will hear that story about our, you know, how we came to be involved with the Conjuring case and actually made it what it was. Uh, or, you know, like to find it through our initial investigation. Uh, you'll hear that talk about on shows, you know, radio Skype shows, such as yours. And oh, yeah, yours is totally unique. And you'll, <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll see that in print, but you will never hear that on television. I, I don't anticipate you ever hearing that on television uh, because it violates the movie storyline. And it's one of my own sayings is, uh, 
Truth is stranger, but not nearly so palatable as is fiction. True. There you go. Fiction yeah. Easier, easier to digest, and it's more colorful. Yeah. And so well, we have plenty of listeners and viewers. They'll hear it here. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I like to tell the story. I mean, it's not my it's not my mission to tell that story, but I, you know, I like to have a chance to tell it. You know that we were involved. We, uh, I can honestly say, with no exaggeration, that if it weren't for my brother and myself, the motion picture, The Conjuring, never would have taken place. Right. Exactly. Whether Andrea's series of books, House of Darkness, House of Light, would have been written, I don't know. Probably. I don't know if they'd be precisely in that form. But the movie never would have been made because the Warrens wouldn't have been introduced to that case were it not for us. Right. Yeah. The, the way the it's portrayed in the movie, it, it didn't begin precisely as it's portrayed in the movie, and it certainly didn't end anything like it did in the movie. However, when I did see the film, I I enjoyed it, and it was nostalgic for me. First, so I'm like, oh, I remember being there. <laughs> Especially when they show Ed and Lorraine. Um, and of course, that's not how they, in the movie, it's portrayed that Lorraine Warren and Ed, Ed and Lorraine Warren meet Carolyn Perrin at a lecture. She attends one of their lectures and she approaches them afterwards. Of course, that's not how it transpired. But watching Patrick Wilson and Vera, that's the name, uh, eludes me right now, uh, portray Ed and Lorraine Warren, it's like, it's like seeing Ed and Lorraine again. That's very much what the lecture format was. Yeah, they had it pretty spot on. Yeah, yeah. Good. The, the way the interior of the house had portrayed that was spot on. Some of the conversations were almost transliterated, some of the incidents. Uh, but it was like, uh, yeah, it was like watching Ed and Lorraine again. And uh, when you see Ed and Lorraine interviewing Roger and Carolyn Perrin in their kitchen, it looks just like that was in the, in the house, in the Perrin's house. Uh, so yeah, I was like, oh gosh, and, uh, that was, <laughs> it, it was like memory lane. It was nostalgic, you know. I'm not nice. totally diss the movie. Oh, it was entertaining for sure. Uh, yeah, and I'll I'll tell you just between us and for those listening, but um, <laughs> uh, uh, there was a probability that I, you know, Carl was going to be portrayed in that movie, and I was cautioned about that actually from people in the know. Uh, who are associated with it and they say there's no such thing as bad press this would have been bad really and they might have even portrayed me by inference you know they might have changed uh, like spelled my name with a K instead of a C you know Carl they, they might have changed a little bit but uh, you know by inference many people would have known that was supposed to be me and that was going to be bad so I had to actually take action to prevent that. Oh, wow. Whether whether I would have been portrayed in the final cut, I can't know, but I certainly had to head that off. Yeah. Because it was going to be, what I heard, my reliable source, and it's going to be bad stuff. You well, that's too bad. That. Yeah. I mean, in a way, it would have been nice to, you know, like, oh, I'm, you know, noted in that movie, you know, but not for my contribution. I would spend the rest of my career in the paranormal uh, you know, in lectures, disclaiming that, you know, saying, well, that wasn't me, you know? Yeah, every so, single time, sure. I can yeah, understand I that. I haven't said that, you know, I enjoyed the movie. Yeah. 
So, well, we are about at our hour mark. Uh, I do want to get in one uh, last little question here, and I'll, I'll pull it from Chanel, who asks, what do you do to relax? <laughs> I try to sleep. <laughs> now uh you know some physical activity combined with meditation if i can hike out in the woods and you know i don't really need a um a dojo or a temple to meditate and pray and i you know sometimes just go for a walk on a, you know especially if it's a nice day and just go out for a walk and uh hike find a private place and just review and contemplate exercise some introspection so physical exercise mental you know mental expansion well, that, that's basically it i mean uh i don't have any like any sports i do other than hiking at, at present okay. i'm a member of a, a, meta, um, a philosophical group it's called the order of silohar that that's an old term like from a dead language it means guardian or protector okay. and the order of silohar is based in oxford connecticut uh I really wouldn't have time to go into it now. It takes about 15 to 20 minutes to do <laughs> Not a justice, problem. but uh, S-E-L-O, how do you spell that? S-E-L-O-H-A-A-R, order of Silohar, in Salmation, which is a dead language. And that I've been a member of, I'm happy to say, for uh, nine on to 40 years. And, nice. Uh, Very you know, nice. That's, that's an outlet. And we have... Um, sword tournament and sword training it's the fech school oh wow All the terms are in german so that's an interesting proclivity and an outlet yeah that sounds you know, like so fun that, that's, yeah i'd say that's invigorating and relaxing and as i said <laughs> it's a philosophical movement let's do a show about that sometime please all right let's do that sometime for sure fun. that would be interesting that would be interesting so yeah. all right so carl work where, where can everybody find you and your book shadow realms well, of course, I'm present on Facebook. I'm probably the only Carl L. Johnson in the state of Rhode Island who's tagged as a demonologist, but probably, I think I am. Uh, the handle for mine and Lana's website is it's Demonology Incorporated, but if you just put in a search for Demonology Incorporated, all kinds of things come up, but it's, I'll give you the full. It's H-T-T-P-S colon double forward slash demonologyinc.wixsite.com forward slash home. You got all that? I think they got all that. I'll add it to the description, and there is a link to the book down in the uh, show description as right. well. Right. Yeah, you can find it if you look around for you, you know, find or if you find a copy of my book, which is available at various bookstores on the shelf and some Barnes and Noble stores and then various stores uh, in Rhode Island and probably a few places I don't know about. And uh, it's available through, you know, ordering through Barnes and Noble booksellers and uh, on the shelf in some of those books in Barnes and Noble stores. And, uh, oh, you know, through Amazon, you can find it. Yeah, yeah but if, if you really want to find my website, there's, there's a way to do it. Just ask Mike Rickinson. There you go. No. Just ask me. I'll tell you. <laughs> I'll send you the link. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, we're going to let Carl go. Then we'll come back and we'll do all the little shout outs and everything. And then uh, we'll wrap up the show and get on to Inside the Upside Down. So, Carl, thank you very much for joining us. And I had a fantastic time talking to you and I do hope to see you again this summer. 
call on me again. I'll talk to you. And I hope to, yes, I look forward to seeing you, Mike. And whoever else wants to come at the, the Ocean State Paracon, you can always do a shout out for Ken DeCostas. Well, he yeah. arranges and organizes the Ocean State Paracon in Harrisville, Rhode Island, which is the Conjuring Territory, within a mile of where the parents lived. Yep, absolutely. And uh, Diane Hilbert's down there in the chat. She'll tell you all about it. She's been there many times. <laughs> Good, yeah, fill in the details. Okay, Mike. All right. Thank you both. Thank you again, Carl. I really appreciate it. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right. Well, that was absolutely a treat to have Carl on. Really, really do appreciate it. So so let's go ahead and do the shout-outs, and then we're going to wrap it up and get on to Inside the Upside Down. So um, we want to thank all of our Super Chat superstars. We had a lot of them tonight, so we do absolutely appreciate that. Uh, Tom McNicholas, Lambie Pie 25, Sophia Fraze, Chipper Terry, Andrew Cox, and WP. Uh, thank you all very, very much for your Super Chats and being Super Chat superstars this evening. Um, again, I do apologize for all the technical difficulties. Um, blame the internet connection. Front, frontier. Fuck you, Frontier. <laughs> <clears throat> so... But, but you know, like second half of the show and on, it, it seemed to be okay. You know, all right. So let's get down to uh, the shout outs. Uh, try to do this quick so we can switch out the show. Uh, of course, Shauna, our chat shenanigator, thank you very much for shenanigating the chat. Uh, I do apologize for not getting to all the questions that uh, she was sending me. Um, it, we got into a, a, a lot and there were a lot of questions down there. So, uh, but save them for next time. We'll, we'll try to get Carl back uh, again here. Um, our Cheshire cat, uh, Donna Gorton. Thank you very much for helping out with the chat as well. She will be, uh, Cheshire catting the chat for inside the upside down. Uh, let's get to our chatters down there. Um, you know, I don't, Candy showed me this participants box here, but I don't know if it's all inclusive, but uh, we'll, we'll run through the names here anyway. Of course, we have uh, Andrew Cox, um, one of our uh, Deep Down the Rabbit Hole Patreon patrons. So let me tell you about that real quick. Deep Down the Rabbit Hole Patreon patrons. Um, you have Tom McNicholas, uh, B3 Airspace, BD Flint, Zippy Davis, uh, Joe Chandler, Pamela Queen, Andrew Cox, Dustin Samario, uh, Thank you all very, very much for that. So you can catch us on uh, patreon.com slash Media. Got all kinds of extra stuff out there. Uh, of course, there's Candy Orton, Kathy Ciliento, Chipper Terry. Thank you all very, very much for joining us again tonight. Creative, great tricks, Corvus Arts. That's uh, There's the Haunted uh, Road Media's Fairy Queen, Diane Hilbert. Thank you very much. Fran Molino, thank you. And of course, we did have Keith Johnson down in there. Ghosts are near show. Check out his show too. So thanks for uh, coming out, Keith. Really do appreciate that. Uh, supporting his brother. It's awesome. Uh, Jill Nimchinski, thank you very much for joining us again. Katie Palmer, thank you as well. Lambie Pie 25 thank you again. There's Lynn's White, thank you very much. Pat Kraft, uh, Robert Hanna, Tammy Heitzman, The Haglin, thank you all very much as well. And so I'll see if there's any others of course, I said something about the internet connection. Get a little notice here. Your internet connection is unstable. Yeah, thank you very much. Uh, um, it's always the way it works, isn't it? <laughs> um, okay, everybody. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and uh, we're going to end this show. Turn on the blue lights. Get ready for Inside the Upside Down. We are talking shadow people. Um we actually haven't done Shadow People and Inside the Upside Down in over a year. It was like one of our very first Inside the Upside Down episodes. Uh, we did just post a, a newer uploaded video 
a few days ago. Bless you, Vanessa. Sorry. Um, there's a, <laughs> that's all right. There, was a, there were a lot of comments uh, that came in uh, on that video, and I've had some that have been sent to me uh, over the past uh, year as well. That's, they're kind of interesting uh, observations. And, um, and what do I call, um, not observations. It's, I, I need more coffee because I'm losing it, <laughs> but, uh, witnesses or whatever. Uh, plus Shauna was not on that show. Uh, the first time I did shadow people. So she has all her shadow people experiences too, to talk about. So, um, that's what we'll be doing. Um, there was Debbie 08 down there as well. So I, I see another. There name was a there. lot of people. There are a lot of people throughout the show. Uh, yeah, that's why I said I don't think that participants t tab is all inclusive. So to anybody tried. who watched the show, we love y'all. We do. Okay. Yeah, there's Just there's Discord threads. There's Discord threads yeah. down there. Yeah. So um, definitely. Yeah, we love you all. So very right. appreciative. <laughs> all right, Vanessa. We will catch you next week. And uh, we'll see all of you in just a few. Till then. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Bye.